again chapter 30. We are just in the last few chapters of the book of Job. And just in a few weeks, we will be finishing the book of Job. But today we are at Job chapter 30. And if you were with us last week, or maybe you listened to the message, watched the message, we, we went over a message called Wisdom in the Trial. And that message was so important because here Job tells us in previous chapters that he is going to hold on, he is going to maintain his integrity until the very end. And that's a, a model, that's an example for us of what integrity looks like. It means finishing well. It means holding on. It means maintaining your integrity. And he says, until I die, I will maintain my integrity. But then he appeals now to the wisdom and the understanding of God that is beyond our understanding. And it's so important for us to realize that, for us to understand that. What is it that we need in the trial? James 1 tells us that we need wisdom and that we are called to ask for wisdom in the trial. And what does that look like? What is wisdom or understanding? Where can you find it? Where can you search it? He paints a picture allowing us to understand that wisdom cannot be found, real wisdom cannot be found outside of the Lord. And wisdom really means to be able to see it the way God wants us to see it. And understanding means that we would be able to receive it the way God wants us to receive it. This is direct application for us today. And I want to encourage you, maybe challenge you in the last week. Have you been receiving the trial the way God wants you to receive the trial? Have you been able to see the trial the way God wants you to see it? From His perspective and not from ours. Because we ought to think, and I want to encourage you today, that we should think about the trial not as problems, but as preparations. We should not think about the trial as a problem, but as a preparation. Because the trial that we're going through today is taking us, is preparing us, is equipping us for what's to come next. Think about it right now. What is to come next? What is it that God wants next for my life? And whenever the Lord wants to prepare you, He will allow. Oftentimes, He will use a trial in our lives to prepare us as the man after God's own heart. As the woman after God's own heart. You look at David's life. His entire life was filled with trials. <laughs> but he had to undergo all those trials to one day become king. And he didn't become king, king instantly. He didn't step into that calling instantly. He was being prepared every single day for that time when God would call him to be the king. Anointed three times. And you think about this. The trial is the place of preparation. Think about that. Preparation. I don't want to miss out on the preparation. I don't want you to miss out on the preparation of what God has for us as a church. Of what God has for us corporately, but also what God has for us individually. The trial is the place of preparation. It was said before, as long as we want to be different from what God wants us to be at the time, we are only tormenting ourselves to no purpose. As long as we want to be different from what God wants us to be at the time, we are only tormenting ourselves to no purpose. The greatest purpose, purpose and fulfillment that you will find in life is when you say, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. 
I don't want to be something outside of what you want me to be today. I want you to prepare me. I want you to use me. I, 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 I want to be used in this time of my life. Because Job is being prepared to finally, at the last chapters of the story, to be redeemed. Do you notice that? Do you realize that? That the entire Bible from start to finish finishes at the, the whole purpose, the objective of God's Word is that we would learn redemption, that we receive that from His Son, Jesus. And that, that Job would be redeemed, that he would be restored now. And after having talked about this, Job is in a mindset now that I'll take whatever God has for me but in chapter now 29, what does he do? He recalls the blessing from the past. Chapter 29 of Job, where we read last week, he recalled the blessing from the past. In Job chapter 30, he's going to rehearse the pain of the present. Right now, chapter 30, he will rehearse the present pain. He will remind us of his present pain. And in chapter 31, he's going to reaffirm his personal integrity. He's going to reaffirm his personal integrity. That's why the title of today's message is called A Display of Integrity. A Display of Integrity. We want to see what integrity looks like. We've talked about what it means, but what does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Let's read chapter 30 as he now is rehearsing the pain or the suffering of today. And maybe we can relate to this as we are going through a time of, of undergoing trials and tribulations and seasons that are unknown to us. But now he's, after talking about the glory, the blessing, the Lord's hand upon him, the illumination that he received, the preservation that he received, the, the covering that he received from God. And he's, he thought about that in chapter 29. Now in chapter 30, he's going to talk about his present state. Let's read it. Chapter 30, Job. Job 30 verse 1, it says, But now, chapter 29 was then, but chapter 30 is now. But now they mock at me. Those that would praise Him now are mocking at Him. Those that were now being blessed by Job, respecting Job, holding Job at high esteem, are now mocking Him. They're now making fun of Him, ridiculing Him, disrespecting Job. Let's read this because he talks about a present state without respect. But now they mock at me, men that are younger than I, whose fathers I disdain, to put with the dogs of my flock. Their fathers weren't even worthy to be put with the dogs or did not have the value when I saw them and, and I take, took care of them and I noticed them. Now their children are mocking me. These, these men of low character are mocking Job now and he's saying things have changed. Isn't this uncomfortable when things change? Things were better then, but now they have changed. Things were the glory days were then, but now they've changed. Now I'm filled with disrespect and with ridicule in my life. It says this in verse 2. Indeed, what profit is the strength of their hands on me? They're not worthy. Their strength is, is small. They're, they're fools. They're, they're only outcasts in society. And they're the ones that are mocking me. The men that I helped, the men that I was available to. Let's keep reading here because it tells us in verse 2. Their vigor has perished or they're worn out. They are gaunt or they are deprived from want and from famine. 
These are people that are of even low resources. These are people that are even in need. These are people that did not compare to where I was at. And now they ridicule me. How things have changed. And it says, fleeing late to the wilderness of desolate and waste. Verse 4, who pluck mallow by the bushes and broom trees roots for their food or wild now greens. They were driven out from among men. They shouted at them as a thief. These men are outcast men. These men are wicked men. These men are men of low character that are coming against him. They had to live in the clefts of the valleys or driven away from human society to live at the rocks. Verse 7, among the bushes they braved, it tells us, under the needles here. They nested and there were sons of fools Yet sons of vile men, they were scourged from the land. You see, he's talking about a type of people or a type of men. As he's protesting here, Job, in his godly character, as he's remaining blameless. But he's saying the very outcasts of society now laugh at me. The very ones that I was there to judge and to lead and I was there to be an example and to give direction, now they ridicule me. Let's re look at this because he's undergoing mockings and he's enduring that. He's enduring humiliation. I don't know about you in your life if you've ever gone through a seasons of humiliation or of ridicule. Where you think that the events that are taking place in your life are leading you to that. Where you feel that you are humbled among others. Well, this is exactly how he feels. That he had better days, but now he is humbled and humiliated in front of others. In verse 9 it says, And now I am their taunting song. Now I'm their taunting song. They, they mock at me with vulgar songs. They despise me or they're coming to me. Look what he says in verse 9 and 10. They come and they spit at me in my face. Ultimate sign of disrespect. It says this in verse 9. Yet I am their byword. They abhor me or hate me. They keep far from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me. Because he's saying, the Lord has allowed to my strength to be weakened now. And because the Lord has allowed to my strength to be weakened now, they have cast off restraint before me. They don't hold back. They're coming against me, these men. At, at my right hand and... Uh, the, the, the rabble arises and they push away my feet and they rise against me. Their ways are destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They have no helper. They come as broad breakers under the ruinous storm. They roll along. And he's feeling this tremendous pressure now. And it was these men that one day respected now Job. But notice this. They respected his authority. They did not respect his integrity. Because if these men respected his integrity, they still right now at this moment of, of a valley low moment of Joe's life, they would still be there to support him, to respect him. But he's saying here, no, they've turned on me. And this is the difference between respecting someone that has authority and respecting someone that has integrity. 
You see, no longer did he have the authority that once he did. His honor was gone. And he tells us that in verse 15, terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor. The honor is gone now as the wind and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. The honor, the prosperity, the respect, it is gone. The respect is gone. Now from verse 16 and verse 23, he's going to talk about how he no longer feels the blessing he felt one day. He told us in the first 15 verses that he, didn't, he doesn't receive the respect. Now he's going to tell us he doesn't receive the blessing. You see, there was a, the hand of God was, was so evident in the life of Job. It said that he was a man that was prosperous, that was wealthy. But now he's saying, I do not feel the blessing. There are going to be times in your life where you no longer feel respect and you no longer see the blessing. But you are still called to maintain your integrity. Now notice that in from verse 16 or verse 23, as he now presents his, his poverty, he presents his affliction to us. And he says this, And now my soul is poured out because my plight, the days of affliction take hold of me. What is he speaking about? Depression here. Instead of blessing, I feel a depression that is seeping in. I feel something that wants to haunt me now. Like, like, in fact, like this life that, that, that just slips away right through my bones now. And I'm filled with pain now. A great pain that he's about to tell us. In verse 17, he says, My bones are pierced in me at night, and my gnawing pains take no rest. By great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me, now it says here in verse 15, about as the collar of my coat. You know, he feels, he feels against the wall now. Almost as if someone is grabbing him by the collar and pushing him against the wall and lifting him up and is asking now threatening things and asking for answers. Have you ever seen that picture of someone just be pushed against the wall by their collar and it's been twisted and it's being so intimidated? Well, that's exactly how he feels. As someone grabbed him by his clothes in verse 18 and binds me from the collar of my coat. Wow, this is interesting, the picture that he's giving us. Now verse 19, it says, He has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I am like in the mud. I'm cast and stuck in the mud now. But he tells us, I will cry out to you, but you do not answer me. He's crying out to the Lord. I'm crying out to God, and I don't hear an answer. I stand up, and you regard me, but you have become cruel to me. And he's almost feeling now that he's feeling in opposition. The Lord doesn't answer me and His friends are becoming cruel to Him. And it tells us this, With the strength of your hand you oppose me. He, he, sees, he says, Lord, why is it that I feel your hand? There was a hand of favor. I feel your hand now. It's a hand, Lord, of resistance. Well, the season of respect is gone. The season of blessing is gone. But although that's taking place, there is never a season in your life where you should let go of the holiness, of the purity, and of the integrity. There is never a season where you, you, you can say, it is time for me to give this up. Because integrity is something that you carry through every season in life, and you are never ready to give it up as a man of God, as a woman of God. Now notice this next following verses, you lift me up to the wind, and it caused me to ride on it. He's saying here, and you... you you spoil my success, for I know that you will bring me to death in the house of appointed for all the living. I know, Lord, that one day my now uh, death is near me. 
And he's going to talk about now that nobody wants to help him and there's an injustice that is taking place in the remaining verses. Not only have I felt that there's no respect or blessing, nobody is here to help me. Nobody wants to stretch out their hand. He feels alone. Have you ever felt that way? Are you going through a trial and you feel like nobody wants to help you? You feel so afflicted. And not only that, on top of feeling afflicted, on top of knowing the pressure, on top of maybe being pushed against the wall, and feeling intimidation, you, you look around and there is no one that stretches their hand to lift you up. That's exactly what he feels like. And he says, there's no help. There is no help. Verse here, now 24, it says, Surely he would not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins. No, I know the Lord will not, or the, uh, the one that is showing favor will not come and, and, and oppress the one that is weak if they cry out when he destroys it. I know that God's not going to come against the needy. So why is it here? Look in the following verses what he says. Have I not wept for him who was in trouble? Didn't I weep with those that were in trouble? Wasn't I there for the person that was in need? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? He's speaking for someone that lived his life to serve other people. When he was there for the needy, he was there for the poor. He, he made himself available, but now he needs someone and he's crying out, how come nobody wants to help me? Why is it that I was able to show compassion, but nobody can now demonstrate it to me? And he goes on, but when I looked for good, evil came to me. And he says, and when I waited for the light, then came darkness. My heart is turmoil and I cannot rest. I am in trouble. I'm restless now. And the days of affliction confront me. He is being confronted by affliction. Asking for help. Now it's important for us to notice this. That when we help others, we help them because we love Christ. And we love people. And we want to glorify Him. Not because we want to be served in return. But here he's asking for a, a remedy, an instant, immediate remedy. Somebody help me now. And he's saying, the days of my suffering are here. The days of my affliction are surrounding me. They're confronting me now. And in verse 28, he goes on, I go about mourning, but not in the sun. Not only am I not mourning, but I'm mourning in darkness. I'm mourning in darkness here, he's saying. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. I am a brother of the jackals and a companion of ostriches. <laughs> I have nowhere to go. I feel like I'm just buried. I feel like I'm stuck. I have no companions here, he's saying. I have no ministry, he's saying. My skin grows black. Think about the physical pain he's feeling. And it fails, and I'm sorry, falls from me. This painful physical experience. My bones burn with fever and my heart is turned to the morning and my flute to the voice of those who weep. Joy to morning. My, my flute now to the voice of those who weep. My heart turned to a song that is of sadness. What does the Bible tell us even in spite of all of this? Does Job quit? Did Job say, you know what, I'm going to throw in the towel. I don't feel loved. I don't feel respected. I don't feel blessed. Nobody wants to help me. And does he remain or does he dwell on, on that totally? No, he does not. Because in, in his mind, he is feeling these things. However, he picks himself up with integrity and he goes on. Integrity to be whole, to be undivided, to be single-minded. He doesn't say, you know what, well, I'm just going give, to give up. I'm going to surrender now. Now in verse 31, he's going to tell us what integrity looks like. 
And he's going to give us a clear picture of what it means to be a man that was upright, that feared God, and that shunned evil. Do you understand that his integrity wasn't seasonal? There are times in our life that we're on fire for God, but we're only on fire for God for a season. And then when things go bad, we no longer want to be on fire for God. But here as he recants, and he's, as he's looking back, and as he's recalling his integrity, you know what it's also doing? It's building courage, and it's building confidence. Your integrity will put you in a place of courage and of confidence. That's why the Bible says that the wicked flee when no one's chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion because your integrity will allow you and will give you the boldness to step out. Integrity always builds confidence. It always builds courage. And even when he's discouraged, even when he is disappointed, notice this, he is not defeated. Would you remember that tonight? Even when you're discouraged, even when you're disappointed, you are not defeated. And he's going to demonstrate that because his integrity allows him to keep his word, to do what he said he will do. And, and, and notice this, if you fail when it comes to doing what you, will, what you said you will do, then integrity, what is it does? It acknowledges that failure now, and, and, it, and it encourages you to make, to, for you to make things right, because if you don't, you drift away and compromise. There are a lot of times where we say things that we're going to do, but we don't do them. And that is instant compromise to integrity. We say that we're going to step out and do something, but we fail to do it. We are confronted with our integrity. And that is a drift and compromise. But when you say, you know what, I'm going to fix this failure. You know what you do? You're standing in the confidence of integrity. And that's what he was doing here in verse 31. He's going to stand on the confidence of integrity in, in chapter 31. And I pray that you would stand on the confidence of your integrity. That you would be bold. That you would look to the Lord and say, Lord, I am standing on the confidence. And now here he's going to reaffirm. Reaffirm his integrity. Can you reaffirm your integrity today? Can you proclaim your innocence before the Lord because you have been washed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and you are seeking Him every single day that you're living a life of holiness? Because here we see what holiness looks like. This is what it means to be holy. Chapter 31, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Every man and woman should have this verse underlined in their Bible. <laughs> in fact, this is a very well-known verse. When we talk about holiness, it begins, integrity begins, we've said it before, with our lips, but also it begins also in our eyes. Do you see here, he said, I, I've made a covenant. Underline and circle the word covenant and right next to it, write the word commitment. Write the word contract. Write the word promise. I have made a promise, I have made a commitment now, I have made a contract, I am under now a contract with my eyes. <laughs> and he wants to display his integrity. This is full integrity right now. And I want to speak to the men and to the ladies right now that this is what integrity looks like. I mean, it looks like purity. Because he's saying, I will not enter lust. Very easy way to break your integrity is to be able to entertain lust. And lust is all around us. Lust is everywhere. 
It is available to you to be able to enter it and to entertain it now. But he's saying, I've made a, a covenant here. It speaks about discipline and it speaks about self-control. What does integrity do for you? It does discipline and it does self-control. If you want to be a man and a woman of integrity, you must exercise those two things, discipline and self-control. I have disciplined myself. I have applied self-control that I will not look at a young woman with a, with, with a desire for her and lust. Do you see this is holiness? This is a blamelessness. It requires this. Because eyes here, the eyes that he's speaking about, your eyes are the gateway for lust. And I want you to remember that tonight. Eyes are the gateway to lust. And, and they can become, when we start to look at someone or, or at something, when it comes to lust, specifically here, he's talking about sensual lust. When he's speaking about a woman, they can be as a form now or become a sense of beginning foreplay in your mind to sensual lust. That's why it's important what you look at, what you focus on. There are a lot of times that we fail in integrity because we compromised when it came with our eyes. Because we did not exercise self-discipline, we did not exercise now self-control. And because of that, we've compromised with our eyes. And it really is important here that, that what he does here in, in this very verse 1 is he's learning to restrain himself from looking at something that will cause him to sin. Do you know how to restrain yourself? You know how to control yourself before God? Because this is the key to unlocking a pure life. You want to have a pure life right here? This is the key right here. You need to learn how to control yourself. Job learned here how to control himself. And he said, I'm not going to look at a young woman in a form that's going to be lustful. You see a young woman passing and you know that maybe uh, she is going to cause you to stumble or to uh, draw attention from you and, and pretty soon it's going to become lust and attraction. Notice this, he said, I'm not going to look that way. Because I'm going to choose, I'm going to make a conscious decision now to make a commitment with my eyes. And look what he tells us in verse 2, for what is the allotment of God from above? What is the allotment? What is it that God has for me? And the inheritance of the Almighty from on high. What is it that God has for me? What has He given me? What is it the Lord has uh, an, an inheritance for me? I'm not going to look at a woman because God already has for me something and someone else. And that's His wife. And I, I love this right here. I'm not going to look at a woman to lust because God now has an allotment or He has a reserved inheritance for me and it is not to be looking around and being lusting after things. Circle the word allotment here from on high. Inheritance. I'm going to confine myself, my eyes to what God has given me, not to what God has not given me. Do you see how, that, how he's protecting himself? This is the allotment. This is the inheritance that he's seeing. And why is it that he's making such strong commitment now when it comes to the allotment of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? In verse 3, isn't that lust what leads to destruction and lust that leads to disaster? That's why I'm going to avoid lust. And there's a lot of men and women that are addicted to even lust or pornography or 
sensual activity and, and, and it, it, it binds you with your eyes. It, it puts you into bondage now. And here in verse 3, he's telling us what that leads to. He said, I'm going to avoid lust because lust, it leads to destruction and it leads to disaster. And not only that, if I'm talking about integrity, I must realize verse 4. What is verse 4? Verse 4 says this, Does not God see my ways and now count all my steps? Isn't it God that He's always looking at my ways? I am going to protect myself because I know that God sees all my ways. And I think that maybe I'm hiding this. And maybe I like to call it a secret sin, but it's not a secret before God. A lot of times we like to say that word, a secret sin. It's not a secret before God. And here in verse 4, he's saying, Does not God see my ways and count all my steps? He sees everything that I do. Therefore, I will not lust. And he's speaking about his integrity now. You see, what he refuses, what this means is that he refuses now to dwell on a lustful feeling which just the normal human man would naturally do. And he's giving himself the mind of a spiritual man that he's saying, I'm not going to dwell on that. I will not dwell on that. From verse, first four verses, he tells, I was never a man of lust. I was never a man of lust. I was a man of self-control. Now from verse 5 through 8, look what he says. Not only was I not a man of lust, but from 5 through 8, he tells us, I wasn't a man of deception. I wasn't a liar. If I walk with falsehood or if my foot has hastened to deceit, haven't I lived a truthful life here? He's going to tell us. Let me be weighted on honest scales. Let the Lord just put me on an on honest scale, on a scale of justice now, and, 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 and test me now for truth. Because I've stood for truth that God may know my integrity. Let God examine me now. Let God weigh me. The New Living Translation reads this verse. Let God weigh me on the scales of justice. For He knows my integrity. You see, His life now was, was a life of truthfulness. And He's saying, you can examine my life in an honest way. And you will find out that I've lived a life of integrity. I've never lived a life of deception. Of hypocrisy. I've never been a liar. If my step has turned from the way or my heart walked after my eyes. You see how he's talking about a life of deception is a life that, that you walk after what your eyes see. After what you want. After your desires. Or if any spot adheres to my hands or if, if I have dirty hands now. Then let, my, let me sow from another uh, and another eat and let my harvest be rooted out. Now if this is true that I've been a liar, that I'm willing to give up all my hard labor and let someone else enjoy it. Let others take the blessing of my labor and let me be uprooted. I'm willing to pay the price now because I know that I haven't lived a life with lust or I'm guilty of any other sin when it comes to deception. And if it is so, as I am tested in the scales of honesty and justice before the Lord, then let the Lord give me the punishment that I deserve. I'm willing even to be depraved for my own labor. Now from verse 9 through 12, it tells us not only that he wasn't a man of lust or he wasn't a man of deception, but now he wasn't an adulterer. He, was, he had integrity when it came to his marriage. When it came to his wife, he was faithful. That's real integrity, faithful. A lot of times we want to say, what are practical ways of, being, of demonstrating integrity is being faithful to your spouse. Being faithful in your marriage. 
not being enticed now and other things that are illicit outside of your marriage or the sanctity of your marriage. And he's saying here, if my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I have been seduced by a woman or lusted or lurked at my neighbor's door or at my neighbor's wife, here it says, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down over her. He said, if I've looked at my, uh, at my neighbor's wife, if I've been unfaithful to my wife, if I've, if I've not demonstrated integrity when it came to my home and my marriage and my wife, then let somebody else take my wife and let her serve that other person. And, and let, even he even goes down even to the, the extreme points of, 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 of let that person even enjoy my wife in, in a sensual, sexual way. Do you notice what he's saying? He is so dramatic about how confident he is in his integrity here. And he goes on in verse 11, for that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. He said, looking at my neighbor's wife being unfaithful to my own wife, showing the infidelity in my home, that is wickedness, that is sin, and it deserves judgment. You notice how today we don't call it sin? We don't call it sin. We don't call it an adultery. We call it an affair. We don't call it sin. We call it a problem. We call it something, maybe it's a health issue. No, he's saying, no, this wickedness, that is sin, and that deserves judgment. I love that, that he's so black and white. He's saying, I have not fell into these traps, for that would be a fire. Adultery is as like a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. You see how adultery, what adultery does, and he defines it now? In fact, it says, this adultery is to be punished now. It is like a fire that consumes you to the way of destruction, and it burns everything that you own. That's what adultery leads you to, right? And this is exactly what he's demonstrating to us, that he made conscious choices and decisions now to be faithful now in the things that God had entrusted with him. But now he's going to tell us he had integrity as he was also treating others with dignity and he treated others with respect. And I want you to notice this. Your integrity also matters in how you treat other people. You can't say you're a man of integrity, but you treat people bad. You're disrespectful. You're always sarcastic to people. You cannot do that. Because integrity means respect. We better utilize it and wear it respect. Notice how he says that he did not talk to people without compassion. And it says here in verse 13, If I had despised the cause of my male or female servant, do you think I've despised their request when they complain against me? Do you think that I've been now a man without compassion? What then shall I do when God rises up? How is it that I can face God when I treat people this way? How is it that I'm going to be able to face God when I talk to them that way? How is it that I'm going to be able to face God when I treat those that I'm supposed to be serving, those that I'm supposed to be showing compassion, I treat them without compassion. How will I ever face God when He questions me? Because God will question you about how you treated others. He will. And it tells us this in verse 14. When God rises up, when He punished me, how shall I answer Him? What am I going to tell God? You will have to answer to God for those things. How you spoke with people. Did you exercise compassion? 
Did he utilize respect? Now it says, did, is, did not he who made me in the womb make them? And did not the same one fashion us in the womb? Just like they might be my servants, but we have the same creator. We answer to the same God. The same God made us both now. And he understands that. He doesn't elevate himself above other people. He understands that he, as maybe a master, was there to serve other people. And he was there to demonstrate compassion now. I love this about Job. It's the same God that made us both. I don't think highly of myself, Job says here. Let's read here the continuing verses in verse 16. It says, If I have kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fall. Now he's saying, I, didn't, I never took advantage of the widow or the poor. The poor or the weak. He's saying this, Did, If I have ever kept the poor from their desire... Or cause the eyes of the widow to fall? Did I ever ignore the needs of the widow or the poor of the needy? Or eaten my morsel by myself so that my fatherless could not eat of it? Did I ever just ignore them and just take care of myself? And I was stingy with my food and refused to demonstrate love to those that were fatherless or those that were orphans? Yeah, we can get so caught up in self that we never think about the needs of other people. And even we're so blessed. Job was a very blessed man, but in that blessed life, he didn't forget about those that had need. He cared about the poor. He cared about the needy. Was I so selfish, he's saying, that I was never willing and available to serve other people? But for my youth, I reared him as a father from as a young one. I, I went to those that were fatherless, and I made myself available from a child. I cared for the orphans and for the widows. I guided the widows. I became a father to the fatherless and I went and I provided for the widows now. And he said, he's saying here in verse 19, If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or a poor man without covering, if his heart had not blessed me, and if he was not worn with a fleece of my sheep. Did I ever see someone that was cold or that was poor, that didn't have clothing or was without food? Did I not bless him? Was I not there to help him now? Did I not give him a coat for his covering, those that were in need? Verse 19 and 20, he's defending his integrity in these practical ways. Because that's the way of, of, of integrity. That is the way of integrity. To meet the needs of others. See, integrity looks like this. Integrity looks like meeting the needs as well. Verse 21, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate, did I ever now, knowing that I had in a position of influence, did I ever come against the cause of the fatherless or the orphan or let them suffer? If I ever did that as a leader, as one of those that stood at the council of the gate, I know that my voice mattered when it came to their case. And I came against them. Look what he's going to say here. Verse 22 and 23. Then let my arm fall from my shoulder. And let my arm be torn from the socket. For destruction from God is a terror to me. I'd rather face that physical pain. Than have to face God. For standing against the fatherless, the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Are you seeing what he's saying here? And because of, the, because of his magnificence, I cannot endure just please, just break my arm off of me. Because I'd rather you take pain, take pain right now than have to face God for having had done that. For opposing the case. What is my hope against the Lord if I have to answer Him? Now he's saying here in verse 24 to 28 that he wasn't greedy either. If I have made gold my hope, I never was walking after false gods or trusting in money. Where it said to find gold, you are my confidence. Circle that, you are my confidence. 
I pray that your confidence is not in a bank account. Because that's lack of integrity. That's a compromise of integrity. That is not the way of integrity. Your confidence in money or in gold. My security is not in there. My confidence is not in gold. It says, where I have rejoiced because of my wealth was great. And because my hand has gained much. Am I boasting about that? If it, it, was that what I was, my life was all about? You want to live a life of integrity? Then make sure your life is not about just making money. Because that is not integrity. That's not the way integrity looks like. That's not what my life was about, he's saying here. If I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in its brightness, if I looked at God's creation and I practiced idolatry with anything that he, cre that he created, or I started to worship something outside of God, it's saying here, and moving in its brightness so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. If I fell into and been enticed in idolatry, then it says, this would also be an iniquity deserving of judgment. This is sin. <laughs> Idolatry is sin. Worshiping something other than God is sin, and it deserves judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. You know, when you are living a life of idolatry, when you love something more than you love the Lord, it is called idolatry, and it is a sin, and it, it is a sin because it's denying God above from the worship that He deserves. You see, when you worship something outside of the Lord, you are denying Him of what he deserves. He deserves the worship. Not anything else. Verse 29 now. As he speaks to us here. That he is without blame. If I have rejoiced at the destruction of who, who hated me. Did I ever rejoice of my enemy. When something bad happened to him. Or my enemy who hated me. That, that something came upon him. No I did not. Or I've lifted myself up. When evil was found. Did I, did I become now. Uh, a person that was prideful asking for revenge now indeed I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul I did not try to take matters into my own hands if the man of my tent have not said who is there that has not been satisfied with his meat now he's saying have I now been one that doesn't take care of my servants do my servants speak negative of me because I'm not meeting their needs? In fact, not only his servants, but also the stranger. Those in my house, but also the strangers. But not sojourner had a lodge in the street, but no sojourner has a lodge in the street, for I've opened my doors to the traveler. I love that he gives us practical ways of how integrity looks like. My servants are always had a full stomach. And the sojourner or the foreigner or the journey person, if they needed a place to stay, I opened the doors of my house. Do you have an open doors to your house? Do you, do you, are you good when it comes to hospitality? Do you have an open heart now? Because he's saying this and, and look what he tells us in verse 33. I have covered my transgression as Adam. What did Adam do when he sinned? He covered himself. He hid from the Lord. He hid from the Lord. He was hiding. I'm not, I haven't been hiding. I have nothing to hide about. He's saying, by hiding my iniquity, do you think I'm hiding my iniquity or my sin like Adam if my, in my bosom or in my heart that I'm keeping something very dark because I feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of family so that I kept silence It did not go out of the door? Did I stay hiding because I was so scared and, 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 and fearful? Was I a coward? No, because I know that I'm innocent now and I have nothing to be scared about. I have nothing to be ashamed about. Can you confidently say that? I have nothing to be ashamed about in my heart. I have nothing to be ashamed about in my heart. That's what he's saying. Now he demands in verse 35 to verse 37 an audience with God. He said, Oh, 
that I had one to hear me. I just want the Lord to hear me. Here is my mark. Here's my signature. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me. Lord, here I am. Answer me. Please answer me that my persecutor had written a book. If, if my persecutor that, that, is, that he feels like he is in a court or, or, or in, a, in a case, in a courtroom, he's saying if, if someone would just write a book now of, of what I'm guilty about so that I can answer it already. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would not be ashamed if someone brought their accusations on me. I will wear it. I will own up to it. I will confess now, he's saying. Verse 37, I will declare to him the number of my steps. I will own up to it. I will defend myself. I will give an account. Are you ready to give an account? Are you willing to answer the hard questions? Because he's saying, I'm willing to answer the hard questions. I am not ashamed. Like a prince, I would approach him. Why like a prince? What does a prince do? Approach him. Notice him is capitalized. He knows that he's approaching a king. Therefore, it makes him a prince. <laughs> I will go and I bow down with respect to the Lord and give him the honor that he deserves. Verse 38. If my hand cries out against me and if the furrows weep together now, if I had eaten its fruit without money now, if I've taken advantage now or I have been accused with injustice now of taking what's not mine or caused its owners to lose their lives, if I've murdered or stolen now, if I've never stolen or I've never murdered, then let the thistles grow instead of wheat. And in my field, let thistles and thorns grow instead of wheat and let weeds grow instead of barley now for bread. Then, then give me what I deserve the words of Job are ended. Underline that. Because he's not going to say that now until, or he's not going to speak again until the end when the Lord starts to speak to Job. You see, the trial here is keeping him humble, and the trial here is keeping him trusting in God. And that's what the trial does. It allows you to examine your life, just like he examined his life in verse 31. But now you see in verse 32 and on, from about six chapters in the book of Job, now Elihu... Um, he answers now as one of the youngest of Job's friends now, but he answers and he speaks now ignorantly. He speaks impulsively. He speaks as a man that is full of himself. It's so dangerous when, when we are in our youth. We have to answer. We have to give advice. We have to give counsel. Because Elihu here, he answers and he thinks he knows it all. And he's just flattering himself. And he's speaking as one who expects now to glorify himself. He's building a stage with his own words for him to stand on. Do you see how this man is so full of himself and flattery after Job just examined what integrity looks like? This is the way of integrity. And now Elihu, this young man, contradicts Job. He's dissatisfied with his friends. Because he believes that Job is righteous in his own eyes instead of believing that the Lord is righteous in punishing Job for Job's wickedness. Let's read verse chapter 32 as we just go through these 22 verses because it says this, so these three men cease answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They did not see, they didn't understand because they thought he was insisting his own innocence. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakal, and the Buzai the of the family of Ram was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Notice this, Elihu was aroused in anger. Be careful that when you are angry, do you say, Lord, let me cover my mouth. 
Because more than likely, when you are angry, you are emotional, you are impulsive, and what's about to come out of your mouth will not be edifying, will not glorify the Lord. And most of the time, it is just not right. It is false. It is emotional driven. Notice how he is so emotional driven, this young man. As, as young men and young women, we can, we can be those that open our mouth early. Now it says this, now also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because he thought he knew more than the friends because they had found no answer and yet they condemned Job. They couldn't give Job a, a reason to believe what he was saying now because they were years older than Elihu and waited to speak to Job. Now Job, you know, Elihu here, he demonstrated some kind of wisdom in saying, I'm not going to speak because I'm young. I'm going to wait for the elders to speak. But now as he speaks now, he, he demonstrates his foolishness. He demonstrates his inexperience. There's a lot of times when we as young people want to speak, and you know what you demonstrate instead of wisdom? You demonstrate inexperience and foolishness. That's why it's better just to listen. Look what he says here in verse four, 5. When, when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, and his wrath was aroused, again, emotional, angry. So Elihu, the son of Barakal, the Buzai, answered and said, I am a young in years, and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid and dreaded not to declare my opinion to you. Notice, it's just an opinion. He's not even sure. And it says this, And I said, Age should not speak now, and a multitude of years should teach wisdom. I thought that you would have the wisdom as older men, but apparently you don't, and I have more wisdom than you. <laughs> He's saying, But there is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. He's saying, what I'm about to say is from God. Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. Saying wisdom doesn't come by age. And look what he's about to declare as he's so confident, as he's so rash. Therefore I say, listen to me, and I will also declare my opinion. Everybody wants to declare their opinion today. Would you remember that verse? I will also declare my opinion. Isn't that what everyone's doing right now, declaring in their own opinion? And you hear an opinion there, you hear an opinion there, and it's all emotional driven. It isn't, it's sometimes, it has absolutely no truth. And we listen to people's opinions and we allow those opinions to dictate now our own lives. In the trial, we should not be moved by opinions. In the trial, we should be moved by truth, not by opinions. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answering his words, lest you say we have found wisdom. God will vanquish him, not a man. Now you, now we, he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. He's saying, I'm about to answer Job with everything that he, that he has been asking for answers that you have not been able to provide. And in verse 15, he's saying, I'm going to give you now my argument now, because what I'm saying is from the Lord. They are dismayed and answer no more. Words escape them, and I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will answer my part. I too will declare again my opinion. <laughs> this is the third time he uses that opinion. Do not be moved by the opinions, for I am full of words. And the Spirit of God is within me, compels me. He wasn't full of words. Notice this. A person that's usually filled with words is also filled with themselves. A person that's full of words is filled with themselves. They're filled with opinions. 
They're not filled with the Lord. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. I am, it is ready to burst like new wineskins. <laughs> I just cannot hold it. I'm ready to speak. I'm going to lay it on you guys. Do you, don't you see how he's so, he's flattering himself. Now he's compulsive in his strategy. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. You must never open your lips. It, there has never been a time where you say, I have to say and open my lips in anger. Never should you do it in anger. Never should you do it for your own relief. You see, he was doing it for himself. He wasn't doing it for Job or his friends. He was doing it for himself. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. And he's just preparing them. For what about he was about to say? He's saying, let me not flatter anyone. Let me just say here now. And he wants to speak now to, to Job as one that's going to teach. But we have to remember that the fundamental quality, and I, and I want you to remember this as we end, the fundamental quality of every great teacher is that they are a learner. And you can't be a learner until you are first a listener. You want to be a great teacher? You want to teach someone some, something? The fundamental quality of every great teacher is that they are always a learner and they're ready to listen. Are you learning right now? Because it is in, in when you're listening and you're learning that you're able to apply truth in other people's situation and other people's crisis. And I love this because here Job has displayed to us the way of integrity. It is a display of integrity. And he's saying, the Lord examined me. Lord, examine me. Can we say that today? Lord Jesus, examine me. You know what happens when we ask the Lord to examine us? He's able to show us and reveal to us what's in our heart that doesn't honor Him. Like the psalmist said, Oh Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know the intents of my heart and lead me to the way of everlasting. I pray that today we would say, Lord, examine me. And if there is anything that is trusting and it has its confidence in other things outside of you, Lord, Lord, move me back to you because I want to trust you. Give me a mind that trusts you. And we can hold on to the cross of Christ that through His blood forgives us and washes us of our sins and say, Lord, I choose, Lord, the way of integrity because I know this season is not a season filled with problems. It's a season filled with preparations. Can we pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank you for this, this word that you've given us. There's so much to learn, Lord, from here. I pray, Lord, that the way of integrity would be a lifestyle that we live. Integrity is, Lord, a lifestyle. Integrity is something, Lord, that we do, that we live, Lord. And God, please, right now, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, examine us, Lord, reveal to us. Have we been living the way of integrity? Have we lived in a life, Lord, that is honoring you or a life that is selfish in honoring just ourselves? I ask, Lord, that Lord, we would make a covenant with our eyes. Maybe someone has a problem with their eyes. And it can be lust to a woman or lust from the woman to a man or it can be lust of objects and things. 
that we would make a covenant with our eyes not to compare ourselves with the things of this world. Not to fall in love with the things that maybe you don't have for us today. Let us make a commitment. Let us make a contract that we would use our eyes to honor you. Lord, forgive us, God. And teach us, Lord, the way of preparation. Teach us, Lord, that today you want to prepare us what you have for us next. And we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name. And together we would say, Amen.